anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. Back in studio with me, Johnny the Jew Mandel. Yo, yo. I am Johnny the Gentile Profita, and we are Peddling Fiction. How you doing over there? Did you have a nice couple of weeks off? Not much, man. Just got a nice weekend here in Chicago. Hit the pool a little. Did a little grilling out. Now back at it. Where was this pool party you went to that you didn't invite me? <laughs> My buddy's building has a pool. So uh, he invited me over. It's at like 500 North Lakeshore Drive. One of these just massive, you know, luxury rental buildings. He's got a studio, which, again, is good enough to get you into the pool. And they've got just like a, a great pool deck. We hung out for the afternoon. Yeah, I used to live over there on 900 North Lakeshore. Nice area. No, uh, does he have a balcony? No. Yeah, well, definitely. That, I mean, he's no, got nothing. Yeah, well, yeah, he's got a no bedroom apartment. He's got a no bedroom apartment. I always hated that fucking name, studio. Such bullshit. Just yeah. Call it what it is. It's a no bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, it's interesting because I'm like, man, why did I move to a building with a pool? And then I'm like, well, I used to live in a building with a pool and I never went to it. So. <laughs> Yeah, you always think you're going to use those amenities. Yeah. And it's always a big selling point. Oh, they got a pool table, a game room, swimming pool, sauna. You use it the first week you get there and then never yeah, again. Yeah. You have like one party. Well, again, yeah. How many days in Chicago does it hit the high 90s? So Yeah, you get, especially outdoor pools, man. You get, what, three months to use that? If that, yeah. yeah. I mean, July, August. I wouldn't even use it in June. Windy and still cold. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been what? Is it two weeks since the Jew and the Gentile got together since we last talked? Yeah, it has been two weeks. You you called in sick last week. Yeah. Got the uh, the old lady's birthday. How was that? It was good. What'd we, you guys do? Uh, I went to an Italian restaurant, Kalo. Kalo? Yeah. It's like in uh, Andersonville. It's like, it's been around for like 50 years. Never heard of it. Yeah. How do you spell it? Uh, C-A-L-O. Oh, Calo. Okay. Calo, man. You got to pronounce it like a Dago. Well, I don't know, you know if that's the way. Maybe like an American Dago, but we shared a pizza and some ravioli. So that was good. It's good to sell. The place has been around 50 years. You know, they had a lot, big place, big place for Andersonville. They got a lot of tabletops, so they can do a lot of covers there. And they were pretty full for like a Wednesday. Yeah, you know, my favorite Italian place fucking closed down like three or four months ago. Nando Milano. Okay. Trattoria. All right. 
small place, you know, it was run by a Sicilian guy, had, you know, 10, 12 tables and a patio out front, fresh pastas. They did this squid ink arancini. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, you know, I've decided that I'm only eating fresh pasta from now on. With all the carbs and how unhealthy it is, if I'm going to do something wrong, it's going to be fresh pasta. I'm not I'm not eating any more of this dried pasta. Life's too short. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, it's been sort of a slow couple of days in the news. And when you called off last week, <laughs> I did a solo episode on Trump and the squad. And I gave my thoughts on the issue. Everybody... All you listeners out there that have not listened to last week's episode, I highly urge you to do so. I, It was fantastic, if I do say so myself. But you had some thoughts you wanted to give on that whole, the whole Twitter spat or what? Yeah, I mean, look, we're, we have come to the final sort of, you know, full on embracement of reality TV politics, right? It's It's more about the headlines. It's more about you know, getting in the news cycle than anything before. And Trump realized that probably four years ago, right? I think other people are, are realizing it now. This is, this is my thoughts on it, okay? Trump's a clown, all right? And so there's only one way to, to, to beat him at his game, and that's to vote him out. I mean, that, that's the one thing. So you can pick fights, you can say all these things, but he's got a big contingency that supports him. And the way that you fan those flames is you say racism, racism, racism. And you know what? It may be racist. I mean, that's a, a whole conversation you can have. Uh, I definitely think he, he kind of talks and coded racism a lot. But at the end of the day, you know, by you picking a fight with Trump, you don't want to turn off the guy in Ohio or the, the guy in Wisconsin, right? You need those voters, those swing voters to win. So I, I would just call out Trump for being a clown more than than say, you know, racist this, racist that. What, one of my big takeaways from that whole ordeal was just how little the mainstream media and like the Democrats have learned from this like Trump moment that we've been in. Right. Because I mean, they've they tried that already. They called him nothing but a racist, bigot, homophobe for over a year. Every chance they got, yeah, and he got elected, right? Like clearly, that's a losing strategy. Yeah, even if you think what he's saying is racist, um, I I, I happen to think that. I mean, I didn't think it was a racist thing to say, and you can go back and listen to the episode to hear my arguments on that. Yeah, um, I did think. I mean, he is a buffoon. There's no there's no doubt about that. Yeah, but I mean, there's something too. Like he has a way of like just knowing how to. He's a dog whistle. How do you? I mean, he blows his dog whistle, and and everyone freaking it's goes not nuts. Even a dog whistle, dude. He's he's just trolling these people. He's trolling the hell out of because he was able to do a number of things by by tweeting that out. Right. He basically he gets these people to reveal themselves for how crazy they are. You've got these four junior congresswomen. They're all pretty nuts. I mean, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Um, I, I can't even remember a lot of their a lot of their other names. Ilan Omar. Um, I forget the other two. Doesn't really matter. I mean, they have pretty crazy out there radical ideas, and 
Nancy Pelosi has been trying to sort of, I mean, they within the Democratic Party, they've been going back and forth. And Nancy Pelosi has been trying to sort of muzzle the, those uh, those four those four women and try to distance herself from them because she real like they're very unpopular. I don't know if you saw those polling numbers that came out. Yeah, I did. They're pretty unpopular, even like among a lot of Democrats. Yeah. And Nancy Pelosi realizes that, you know, you kind of have to play. They don't play that political game. Right. That whole Washington establishment game. And you end up ostracizing a lot of a lot of your support within the party. And so while they were kind of going at it, you know, Nancy Pelosi was the racist before Trump started. Uh, to yeah. Send I, those that, I mean, that out. was bad, too. I mean. Again, I, I don't go so far as to call them crazy. I mean, I think I think you are sort of mixing your feeling for, you know, quote unquote democratic socialist policies for for craziness, right? I mean, yeah, the, they might be okay. So the Green New Deal that was a perfectly sane, that was a sane yeah, plan. Yeah, I, I, again, I it just it, you have to be uh, eliminate you have fossil to be careful with your words in, in this okay. day and age, right? Is it crazy? Uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're just going to end air travel. We'll be off fossil fuels. The world's going to end in 12 years. Yeah, perfectly sane things to say. So anyway, but I mean, part of it is I feel like, you know, you're making a point about a wider problem and maybe you're sensationalizing the issue a little bit. I mean, again, the same thing with like people were arguing about the concentration camps. Like, I don't care what you call them. Like, you don't want, you know, people in cages for whatever the reason. Yeah. But anyway, so, so going back, we are in total agreement about one thing, right? which is that you're not beating Trump with this reaction, right? Absolutely not. And he's able He's able to, the point I was trying to make a second ago, I kind of sidetracked. He forces Nancy Pelosi, who wants to, uh, who wants to distance herself from that squad and wants to kind of keep them under wraps. He keeps them, he keeps the microphone in front of them, keeps them talking, saying crazy things. You can disagree that they're crazy. That just makes you crazy. But, um, and then Nancy Pelosi now has to align herself with them and, and Trump, you know, Trump doesn't, you're you're saying you have to vote Trump out Trump doesn't need people to like him. He just needs people to vote for him. Right. And, and his whole strategy is going to be like, look at, look at these crazy people over there. Right. I'm less crazy than them. Right. So it's like, do you really want, do you really want to vote for somebody that, that supports like the green new deal or something like that? Or you could vote for me, you know, four more years, as long as the, the economy doesn't, you know, drop out from under him. Not only that, I mean the whole, like, I mean, dude, you like, if you don't like it, you can leave. Like that is such a like an old school like seventies, eighties, you know, like type of even probably it goes back farther than yeah, that. America love it or and leave it. And it's like <laughs> there's so many ways to respond to that other than be like, that's racist. Right? Yes. Be like, dude, like what are you from the forties? Like what are you talking about? Right? Well, like, Trump, before you were president, you were the biggest like you criticized President Obama and Bush more than anyone out there. Like you were the biggest hater and now you're telling people to leave. Like there's so many ways to respond right. other than you're racist. There are. If you have a couple brain cells rattling around between your ears, yeah, those I mean, women don't, I, which I just, is what the yeah. only thing they have is a race card, which is why they're obsessed with race. All they do, everything's racist. 
everything. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. Peanut butter and jelly's racist now. Milk is racist. White. They have all these buzzwords. And you got, I mean, I, I did all this in my last episode. It's just like it's either racist or patriarchy, white supremacist. You know, white yeah. nationalism. It's all they have. Right. They have terrible, failed socialist ideology and racism. Which, which by the way, there you can't make the argument too. You dilute when there is actually things that are racist. That too, yeah, because it, it because right. Well, that's why they came up with white nationalists now because racism is just losing its its cachet. Right. You know, it, it's losing that umph that it used to have because everything's everything's racist now. So it just fall. It starts to fall on deaf ears, and when you when you amplify everything like these are just these are just some tweet like trump tweets he he's a shit talker that's what he does yeah he talks shit on twitter and it's like when you get so outraged over these things where it's just like it's not that big a deal in the right. grand scheme of things people care more about their jobs things that affect their actual daily life. like that's what they're gonna vote on Right. You know, and if Trump can convince these people that, you know, he's going to stick it to China and we're going to keep winning and he's going to protect your job from all these immigrants that they think are coming over here to steal their jobs. I, I mean, I, I think he's going to win that battle. Yeah, we'll um, see. I think right now, today, he would win. I think something's going to have to happen between now and the election for him to. You to um actually. You also bailed on on the episode where we were going to talk about the the candidates, the Democratic debates. Yeah. I mean, can we whittle it down from twenty one to like five? Sure. Before we start having those conversations, or well, or you no? just brought up like that. You you think something's going to have to happen? Do you have any that, candidates in mind? Well, I mean, look, no, no, no. I I meant something has to happen to the economy, or something has to happen to the world stage. Like something stupid has to happen, or there has to be some scandal, which I'm. Uh, we're not ruling out, right? I, I mean, Teflon Don, it would take, I mean, maybe yeah. something with this Epstein thing. I don't know if Epstein. I think you'd have to, you know, they say that Bush in his first election, a lot of evangel evangelicals stayed home because uh, of the DUI charge that came out. I have, I feel like it has to be something where it would keep a lot of his supporters at home. Well, see, the thing with that is though, Trump has never really tried to be something he's not. Right. And I think that's kind of a turnoff for the, you know, the, the, all the Bible thumpers out there where it's like, if you pretend to be this pious religious guy, who's, you know, a, a family man and all this stuff. And then it, it turns out that that's all bullshit. Yeah. I think that is a big turnoff for the evangelicals, but Trump has never tried to pretend that he doesn't just like bang horse and, yeah. <laughs> and just be like a, a billionaire playboy or whatever like um I, I mean he does do some like every once in a while he'll talk like he'll have like some bible verse you right. know memorized or whatever but i don't i think he's more authentic and so they've kind of made their peace with it i i'd have to think about something would happen it'd have to be like an externality because again a lot of these elections are outside the actual candidates like hands Right. It just depends on like what's going on in the world that year. Right. So I could just see something like chasmalistic happening, you know, like just something it, like, like a big externality. One of the only things that could take down Trump at this point, in my opinion, is the economy. Yeah. Every day he's trying to convince us that this is the greatest economy in the world, in the history of the country. And I mean, it's it's all just bullet. We're gonna get into the debt ceiling here in a couple minutes. It's it, it's all just nonsense. But 
if he can keep that lie going and if the bottom doesn't drop out of this economy before the next election, I mean, they've kept this whole game going a lot longer than I thought they would ever be able to. If the economy, the the correction in 2008 reset things a lot. It didn't though, because no, it would have if they didn't intervene. The economy was trying to reset things and it started to, but then they came out with all this stimulus. We had this huge stimulus and omnibus omnibus plans. They bailed out all the banks. So all these banks that you know were too big to fail, they made them even bigger. QE, you know, the quantitative easing when they started buying eighty billion dollars a, a a month of mortgage backed securities and treasuries. The economy was going to was going to reset things. That's why we need the recession. The recession is the cure where you where you cleanse the economy of all the malinvestment that's been going on because of these artificially low interest rates that they've been stimulating since Greenspan. But when they don't let that happen, you don't get the reset. When all they did was reinflate that bubble. It reset in a bunch of ways though that like everything they would have done, everything they did would have caused probably like much more widespread inflation than it did. But because you had this sort of reset, prices did not go up. Uh, I, well, I mean, I, I think all that inflation just went to the stock market. Look at the, We're at all-time highs, 27,000 something. Yeah, but it took a while to get there. I mean, at a while, it was half of, half of the, you know, the previous high. And think about like real estate prices. I mean, things did reset. Again, it took 10 years of, 11, of record years. low interest rates. You have no idea what those interest rates have done, man. Well, people say the commercial markets might be the next reckoning to deal with. There, I've been I, hearing that for a while, though. Yeah, I mean, when you have zero percent interest rate interest rates for ten years, and we still have historically record low interest rates, anything that's that's based off of interest, anything that's based off those rates, all the debt. I mean, there's so much malinvestment that goes on. Yeah. It is a it is a ticking time bomb. So if it blows up on Trump's watch like it did on Bush's watch it, right. in 2008. There were just more indicators that it was happening under Bush's watch than it is now. I mean, I don't, I don't see, I feel like, well, I say that in retrospect, though. People didn't really see it coming. <laughs> Some people did. Yeah. Austrians did. Ron Paul called it in like 2003. <laughs> yeah. And the Peter Schiffs, they were out there. But yeah, I mean, the, the problem with economics is it's impossible to time anything. Right. You know, you can have the theory right. And that old saying, you know, markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Right. And yeah, I mean, they can that keep... That's a good saying. It is. And they can keep pumping pumping this stimulus in there. Lower, like the Fed's talk, they're going to cut rates now. So... Um, see, they might get another leg out of this and it might keep Trump afloat. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to the debt, but... Back to the squad, which was sort of the more the more focused section. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless Democrats as a whole don't take the 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 bait, right? Trump's going to win. I do think that you could label him kind of like a bully and just sort of like you could label things on him that every time he opens his mouth, it proves what you're labeling him. I think that's one strategy. But again, I, I don't see the coherentness. In the Democratic Party to to do that. Well, he he's definitely a bully. But the the thing is, he doesn't usually come out first. He doesn't make the first attack. He waits for somebody to take a shot at him, 
And that, I mean, these, you know, all, all four of these women do nothing but call him names yeah. and, and trash his great uh, quote, quote unquote, great economy. Like they just trash him all day long. And then he responds to that. Right. Like that's, that, that's been his modus operandi is, you know, if you say something nice about Trump, you could be the most despicable person on the face of the earth and he will say nice things about you. Right. Like look at Putin or uh, Kim, Kim Jong-un Jong come yeah. to mind. But if you say something bad about him, like he is going to come at you, man. He's a fighter. That's yeah. what he does. So, I mean, he's absolutely a bully. But if, if, if you're going to if you're going to keep poking the bear, he's going to come out swinging. And I mean, well, the nature of a campaign is, I mean, you go after the person who's yeah. you're trying to beat. So. But he's he's just so good at attacking because he never he also never attacks people's like ideas. Really? He always attacks the person. Yeah. And he has this way of just sort of ripping the soul out of people. Like what he did to Jeb Bush, he just eviscerated him. Yeah. And you will never look at Jeb Bush the same. And right. it just, it just low energy Jeb. Yeah. That's all it took. Yeah. Or little Marco. Right. You know, and he's just like, he goes after everybody. He doesn't care. What do you care. call a Biden though? Sleepy Joe Biden. Yeah. I don't know if that one's going to stick. Yeah. I would call him creepy Joe. I think yeah. creepy. I mean, he's doing a lot more creepy things than sleepy things, but yeah, I mean, some of them, I don't find that, that they're that great, but I guess, I don't know if you keep saying them enough. Right, it sticks. But, uh, yeah, what was I saying? What was I talking about? He's good at ripping the soul out of you. Yeah, oh, yeah, because, well, he, he never attacks your ideas. And people, I, people like to think that they vote for, like, policies and ideas and stuff they like that. No. They don't. They don't. Even if you're out there and you're listening and you're like, oh, I do. I do, John. I vote for policy. No, you don't. Right. You, you vote for it's like the most fourth grade thing ever. You know, you vote you, you vote for the cool guy. You vote for the guy you like or the girl you like. Right. And, and you have a set of beliefs and the person who, who comes closest to embodying them, who also is like very cool, comes off as, as a, either an alpha male or like a strong woman or something like that, that's who you're going to vote for. Right. Because there is not a lot of policy difference between uh, Jeb Bush and Donald Trump. Right. There really isn't. They like to pretend that there's this huge chasm between them or even right. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Right. They probably agreed on like 90% of stuff. <laughs> but it's just like Donald Trump's the alpha male and he, he will pants Jeb Bush. And then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I can't vote for that guy. He's kind of like a puss. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what, that's what Trump's going to do. Should we move on? Yeah, well, did you want to talk about cryptos? Let's talk about crypto. It's like way more, way more fun and interesting. Okay. So last week, Trump went after crypto. You're going to pull up the tweet? Pretty visceral, viscerally. Yeah. I'll pull up the tweet. Kind of a no holds attack. And I feel like up until now, Trump had basically kept quiet on crypto, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, cryptos, money, these are complicated. These are somewhat complicated subjects. And it's not like Donald Trump has ever shown any degree of in-depth knowledge on any one subject, you know? So yeah, he's not, he's never going to give you more. That's why he loves Twitter. Cause you could just, you get 120 characters or whatever it is. And it's perfect for the the amount of of knowledge that he has on the subject, and he doesn't have to go any farther in in depth than that. 
So I think he's purposely been avoiding the crypto topic because it can get kind of complicated. The other thing is that it's almost impossible to talk about cryptos without fiat currencies coming to the forefront and how precarious a situation we're in with the government having a monopoly on the control of a fiat currency. So I'm trying to pull up the, the, the tweet from Trump on his I swear. I, I kid you not, he had like 25 tweets in the past day. I mean, this guy just tweets and retweets. It's it's pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. it's not, cr- not it's not like crazy that he does it. It's just like it's insane. Yeah, that, you got to find a tweet from a week ago. That's gonna take forever. I mean, it's surprising <laughs> how much he tweets. Uh, so, Aaron Levy, who's the CEO of Box, who's a really funny uh, Twitter pers- handle, he had like an amazing response to it. So anyway. DJ T said, I'm not a fan of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which are not money and whose value is highly volatile and based on thin air. Sound like something unregulated crypto assets can facilitate unlawful behavior, including drug trade and other illegal activity. And then he kind of calls out Facebook and and Libra and, you know, something about the U S dollar, yada, yada, yada. And then Aaron Levy just replies when you miss buying Bitcoin on the way up. (laughs) <laughs> which is very true. Like anyone who bought Bitcoin in an early stage is like high-fiving each other, like bragging about it, like thinking this is like the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then like those that missed out on it, be like this is illegal, drugs, you know, yada, 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 all that. Well, I mean, it it's it's true in that sense that people that, that got in early on a bubble are high-fiving each other, but he's not wrong on this. The value of Bitcoin is based on, on thin air. It's all perception. There is no underlying value. Really? Wow. I, I thought you'd be like very for crypto. No. Not. I, I mean, I, I want to be. And I, I really want to be. I love the idea of taking the government out of the money supply. I love the idea of having a free market in the supply of money. I love that. And I love the idea of having it completely decentralized, no government intervention whatsoever. What I don't love are fiat currencies. And Bitcoin is nothing more than digital fiat. There's no difference between that and the dollar, which is another good response that people had. No, no, I'll I'll push back forcefully. Go ahead. Try. Uh, Who regulates the dollar? Federal Reserve. Who regulates crypto? Anybody can oh, anybody can start a crypto. It, I could start one. It's anyone can start a crypto, but yeah. I mean, there's no barrier to entry. Yeah, but there's, there's like two thousand different cryptos right now. So yeah, the supply of any one crypto can't be can't be run off the printing press by by a profligate government. But in in terms of the actual supply of of cryptocurrencies possible, it's infinite. Yeah, it's a free market. And whichever one has the best ideas and the best technology will will win on its merits. And so far, Bitcoin is the far and away leader and, and Ethereum is the second leader. Let me tell you what crypto is like, okay? Crypto, and specifically Bitcoin, because all the others you can really forget about. Crypto and Bitcoin is digital gold, okay? It's a commodity, okay? It was mined. It was mined in a different way that, that gold was mined, okay? It's a commodity, uh, there's a specific way that you can trade it. There's a specific way that you can hold it, right? And it has value because people agree that it has a value, just like gold. Gold has intrinsic value. 
and I think, you know, they use all the same, it's a brilliant marketing campaign by Bitcoin because even their symbol is a gold coin with the, with a B on it. Right. And they use the same terms, you know, we're mining this, they use all this subliminal messaging to get you to equate it with gold, but it's nothing like gold. Gold has intrinsic value. And you just said, well, Bitcoin in particular, not all these other cryptocurrencies. Well, why not all these other cryptos? Why aren't they like digital gold? What's the difference? You know what I mean? Gold has intrinsic value as jewelry and in some metal production. But generally, the value that it has is not uh, equivalent to how it's valued in markets. It is much more valued as a store of wealth and it has an enormous amount of value and volatility really because people agree that it should be valuable and you think gold has volatility i mean over a 10 year period yeah compare that to bitcoin bitcoin has 20 percent swings in a day but i mean we're in early days of bitcoin so it's it's 10 years old they've been saying yeah they were saying okay 10,000 years old yeah. And U.S. dollars, you know, 250 years old. Right. Right. So, but I mean, they, this, the story for Bitcoin has gone from it. The original pitch was, was not that it was digital gold. It was that it was going to be this transformative, um, unregulated, indep- uh, completely independent from government control currency that you could use to buy stuff. Correct. Right? Correct. One of the the earliest arguments was, hey, you can't use your gold to buy a cup of coffee, but you can do that with Bitcoin. Look, we can buy a pizza with Bitcoin. You can't do that with your gold. They used to trash gold because Bitcoin was was so much better as a as a medium of exchange, according to them. But now nobody's using it to buy anything. Well well hold, well, hold on for a second. The original intent behind it, that was one, I would say it was, it was multi, like a lot of new products. There was multi-use. One of the uses was transactional. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're in early days of it. There's still a chance that it can be very transformative. Well, I, I think Bitcoin's going to be a problem that because it, it just because it was the first one there, it's got some of the, the highest transaction costs. It, 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 it's totally unfeasible to use it to buy like a cup of coffee or something. Because it costs it costs too much to transact in. Yeah, but but again, those are and that's I, why the story changed from oh, you can use this to buy a cup of coffee, and you can't use gold to buy a cup of coffee. You but you can use this Bitcoin to well now it's digital gold. Yeah, I mean, let me just tell you something. B- Bitcoin is every libertarian's wet dream. It almost like, is. In, in a it's not every. It's not every libertarian's. I mean, because I'm a libertarian, it's not my wet dream. I mean, it should be like a currency that, that the government doesn't have their pudgy little fingers in. That should get you excited. Here's here's the problem with it. If you're going to transact in Bitcoin and you're gonna let's say it functions great as a currency, the government will get its fudgy fingers on it. But the problem is not with Bitcoin. The problem is with the government. And and by the yeah. way, why? Why will it not be a transaction? Because fees are too high. Yeah. So that's a problem with Bitcoin itself. Yeah. The free market will let it figure itself out and either they'll upgrade their technology or you'll have another digital currency come into play that will have a better like infrastructure. I'm sure that I'm sure there will be other yeah. other ones that come along that that blow Bitcoin out of the water. That's part of the reason why I don't like Bitcoin. But I mean, regardless of it, it could be any any digital currency. The government doesn't even have to attack the digital currency itself. 
they can just get it at the banking level or the merchant level. Yeah. Like if you're going to accept Bitcoin, they can just regulate the hell out of it. They could regulate it out of existence, which is what they're trying to do with Libra. That's why they had these hearings. They had this guy up there and his job was to assure the government that they're going to abide by all their, their rules and their regulations and yeah. you don't need to worry. But I mean, if they, they're going to either get it at the point of sale uh, you know, it doesn't matter. It's going to be harder than you think to regulate it. And, and the reason that it's going to be harder is that because you could have other standards that come up through the loop that decidedly won't play by like a regulator's rules. I, I view it very much like the early days of the internet. And yes, the internet is regulated to a certain extent, but there are ways that you can also get around sort of the regulation. Not if you're going to be a legitimate financial institution. Not if you're going to be a bank. Not if you're going to be in a, like um, an investment firm or a broker dealer or anything like that. If Bitcoin is ever going to become mainstream and it's going to replace the dollar as a medium of exchange, you you cannot have mainstream merchant. Like you have to be able to use it everywhere, and the government government can easily make that impossible. Easily. They just have to pass a law that says if you transact in Bitcoin, you're in violation of these anti-money laundering Patriot Act horseshit, and and that's it. They actually don't even have to pass a law. I just saw an article the other day where this guy was comparing it to a secure Bitcoin to securities, which is very interesting because it's more of a speculative asset, in my opinion, than than a commodity like you're saying. And if they label it a security, then you, you, you're you regulated, you fall under the SEC, you have to be a member of FINRA, all this shit just comes along with it and they just have to declare it. They can just decide like that and that's it. And they can just make it the, the cost so absorbent, the cost of compliance that it would make transacting in Bitcoin way too expensive unless you're buying like a Lamborghini or something. It just doesn't make any sense. I, I think I honestly think you're underestimating how easy it will be for them because our government is so big, because we've given them so much control. The financial industry is the most heavily regulated industry on the face of the earth. Tens of thousands of pages of regulations, hundreds and hundreds of different bureaucracies and regulation uh, regulators that have their hands all over every aspect of the industry. There's no way that this could become mainstream without the government's okay. And there's no way that the government's going to give up their monopoly on the currency. It's just not going to happen. It's a pipe dream. So I think as more and more of this becomes apparent to people, that's why they had to shift this to this argument that it's digital gold. Because then you don't actually have to buy things with it. You don't have to transact in it. And maybe you can just buy and hold your Bitcoin and the value will just magically go up. And then you avoid all that government stuff that I was just railing on and on about. But literally, this is these are private individuals that have kind of created this this commodity, if you will, that they agree that there's going to be value to it, and they can trade it and use it as they see fit. And 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 the overall net net benefits are really really high. What are the net net benefits to to Bitcoin? I mean. It, if you think about like a currency that you can basically store wealth in, you can't store wealth in it. It's too volatile. But again, that's that's like an early days problem. You you say that. What's gonna what's gonna make it stable? More users. 
but <laughs> more you the only reason people buy it is because they think that somebody else will pay more for it yeah, at but, a later point in but, time but that's the same thing with stocks and gold no companies have value and they can pay dividends right but and the gold is- has gold has an intrinsic value bitcoin is nothing it's literally nothing. Again, gold has intrinsic value because people agree that it has value. What's no, the intrinsic could, value of gold? It looks nice? Well, it, yeah, it does look nice. Women like it. Men like women. I don't see men trying to stop getting laid anytime soon or stop trying to please, please the fancy of their significant other. You know, they, they like to make their wives happy. Wives like jewelry. You know that. You're married. Try giving your wife a Bitcoin for your 10th anniversary. <laughs> it's also used in dentistry, aerospace, cell phones. Look, the thing, the, the thing about money is that in order to be real money, it has to have a function, a utility, aside from it operating as a medium of exchange. And what I mean by that is... If you can't use it as as a currency, like like I just went over with gold, if you're not using it to exchange goods and services, you're still left with gold that you could make a necklace out of or you could fill in a cavity or whatever, okay? If you're not using Bitcoin to give to somebody else to transfer the Bitcoin back and forth between Bitcoin users on an exchange, what can you do with a Bitcoin? And the answer is nothing. That's that's the big problem with it. I, and I don't think there's any getting around that. Again, though, if you took out the fact that those are the only functional uses, it wouldn't have the value. It wouldn't have like two thousand dollars an ounce or whatever. Well, is. the only reason. Right. The only reason it's two thousand dollars an ounce is because of all the inflation. It, it's it's value in the dollar that's been decreasing. The Federal Reserve's destroyed 97% of the value of the dollar since their existence, which is why it takes more dollars to buy the same ounce of gold. The ounce of gold hasn't changed. It's the currency that you're valuing it against. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it's it's a gigantic bubble. Uh, there is. It, it's only it's, a bubble if people believe that it's not worth, it, it won't be worth something in the future. That's when it's a bubble. Yeah, but eventually, wh- when's it going to be worth something? Well, personally it, right now, I mean, I can go out and buy it and sell it. Right. And again, it's, it has value because other people agree that it's valuable. But the reason they agree that it's valuable is because they think that they can sell it to somebody else for more money. Or store it as value. Or use it as a store of wealth. Like, it, like someone in Venezuela, okay, they could trade, you know, let's say, you know, $10,000 for one Bitcoin. They're not using it because they think they can sell it at a later time for more value, they're doing it because it's an easy way to store their currency without losing value. But I mean, it could, it could, it could drop 20% later that day. Right. But that's a risk they're willing to take because their currency could inflate 20%. Yeah. Well, yeah, they have 15,000% hyperinflation. So yeah, I could definitely see a use for this in Venezuela or some failed socialist. I mean, never mind. Socialism has never failed in a um, not real socialism failed state, I could I could definitely see a use for something like like Bitcoin because you you you'll take a twenty percent drop because the your, the currency that you have to hold drops twenty percent every hour. Okay, fine, but the vast majority of people that own Bitcoin were not buying it as a store of value. It doesn't have any 
any value to store. But the reason they're buying it is because they think it's going to a million dollars a coin. They're trying to they're they're actually trying to create value where there wasn't any. They're trying to increase their wealth. They're not trying to preserve it. They're trying to create wealth that they never actually had by buying this Bitcoin and and since there's a limited amount that somehow gives it value. Someday it will go up to a million dollars because I don't know why exactly, but they have some rationale in their mind because people say so, and I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be living on easy street. This is my ticket to instant wealth. This is not older people that have accumulated wealth through a lifetime that are pouring it into Bitcoin now to, to, to preserve that amount of wealth. Even if older people are buying Bitcoin, it's because they, they want to take their $100,000 and turn it into a billion dollars. It's not that they just want to maintain that purchasing power over time, which is what a store of wealth would do. I guess my point is, is even, even in the absence of Bitcoin going up, people would still use it as a store of value. But again, What value is it storing? It doesn't have any value. The value is in, it's a concept. I mean, it's, it's just like throughout human history, the value is in the concept that people agree that it has value. Yeah. But what happens when they stop agreeing? Then, yeah, it, just, then it goes away, but, but and then it goes to zero, but that's the point. And that's, that's why it has value in the first place is because people agree that. It, and as long as people keep agreeing, I mean, that's why, like, are, why are they going to keep that, agreeing? That, that's like saying, that's my question. That's like saying, that's like saying, uh, the USA is a country. Why is that? Because all the citizens of the USA agree that it's a country and agree there's rights and we agree in a constitution, right? Well, what if they stopped agreeing that? Well, then the US would, would cease to exist, right? I guess my point is, is that the, the enduring value is that people both A, agree and believe that it will continue having value in the future. But why do, they, why do you think it's going to continue to have value? Because people believe that it will continue. But why will they continue to believe that? Because if you can't use it to buy anything, it's a collective, it's a collective fiction that they've created. And you just think that they're just going to keep buying into it. All these guys that have been holding on to their, these, these, they call them hodlers, hold on for dear life. All these guys that have been holding their Bitcoins for 10 years, waiting for it to go to a million or something. They're never going to want to sell their Bitcoins to get the dollars to buy their Ferraris. So yeah, but there will be other buyers. Will there? If people continue to believe and adopt in it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a big if. I mean... Why are they going to continue to... By the believe? way, this this book that I'm, I'm, that I'm basically finished, uh, Species, mm-hmm. or sorry, Sapiens, by uh, Yuval Harari, he spends basically the first third of this book, not talking about Bitcoin specifically, but about, about fictions that humans collectively believe in. Yeah. Okay? So anything that's like the not physical world... States, countries, laws, rights, corporations, Mm -hmm. okay? They basically exist in the collective imagination of people. So they exist because people believe they exist and they agree that it exists, right? Yeah. Civil rights, natural laws, right? The United States, those are not natural things that like inherently have value. They exist because people both agree that they exist and they agree that it will continue to exist. So that's where the value is drawn from with, with Bitcoin as well. By the way, that's why the U.S. dollar has value. Right. By fiat. That's what right. it means. The, the difference is, is that in one case, it's private individuals that agree with it. 
and the other is a, a government that controls the currency. So which one do you prefer? Yeah, I mean, I'm all for a free market in currencies. Like I said, it's just that I don't like fiat. And the reason I don't like fiat is not just because governments are governments currently have a monopoly on fiat currencies. It's that they don't have any intrinsic value. And just be just making it a free market doesn't change that fact. But yes, if I have to choose between a, a free market competition in fiat and a government monopoly in fiat, absolutely, I'll take a free market fiat competition every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I'm just giving you the reasons why I don't think Bitcoin is going to win that competition. That's all. That's all I'm saying. And I could be wrong. I, I could absolutely be wrong on this. It wouldn't be the first time. It is rare. It is very rare that I'm wrong. <laughs> but this to me has every inkling of a massive bubble. I think what people like, uh, like in the crypto community would say is that, yes, you had sort of this initial rush that, that bid it up to 20,000, mm -hmm. right? And that kind of got the mass hysteria and the popularity. And now it's, it's dropped to a point where it's a lot more stable than it was a year ago. And it will continue to be more stable because you have basically a lot of the like people that were just looking to strike it rich really quickly. Yeah. Like they're, they're now sort of not buying it anymore. Like the fad has passed. Right. And now the work is being done to turn it into like a viable technology. That, we'll that's, that's what they'll say. I know that's what they'll say. That's what yeah. they've been saying. Yeah. Their stories changed 30 different times over the last 10 years. Well, I think, and again, you, it's hard to know what's happening when you're living in it, right? And you've never quite no. seen something like it before. Well, it's it's hard to, to keep perpetuating a bubble that's based on nothing when you have to keep justifying every time it contradicts your story, you have to come up with a new one. And that's what they've been doing. For I just 10 think years. a lot more things are based on fiat that you get, than you give credit for. I mean, I think it's, I think it's going to be, I mean, I don't know if it's gonna be the future or not, but I think it's got a really good shot to like, overtake. you think Bitcoin specifically will be the future yeah. or cryptos? It's just cause it's the first one. It's the biggest. I mean, name the thing, now. the thing, the reason that these things do so well and persist over time is because you've got the advantage of first mover, right? So, even if it's not the best technology, because so many people are bought in, you have that installed base, that installed user base. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to convince people to go somewhere else, right? And that just, you know, it's it's sort of like again the collective agreement because so many people agree that. Bitcoin is the the cryptocurrency that attracts more people to it. And because it attracts more people to it, more people agree that it's the de facto cryptocurrency. Yeah. But what attracted people to it was its skyrocketing price, right? When it when it went when it went from a thousand to twenty thousand in like a year and a half. That's what attracted people to it. When it went back down to three thousand there were not you you don't hear anybody talking about bitcoin anymore i just think you can really find a lot don't. of similarities yes that's what maybe attracted that's what got its news coverage and what attracted to people initially yeah but i mean you could say the same thing about like the gold rush like why did people you know rush out to mine in the you know in the western states like because they knew there was gold and they were going to get rich right and so yes it got people interested I think what you're going to see now is like a hardcore user base create technologies around it 
I think it's going to have sustaining, uh, sustaining value. We'll see, though. I'm sure we will. Good debate, though. But um, yeah, I mean that's a pretty good segue into the into the whole debt ceiling issue because part of the problem when you have a government that controls the currency and you have a Federal Reserve that is in cahoots with the government, you know they they try to claim that they're this independent organization separate from government. That's a bunch of nonsense. But they've destroyed, as I said, something like 97% of the value of the dollar. And they facilitate all the debt that the government wants to issue. So it's been a huge problem. It used to be every like four or five years or something, we would bump up against this so-called debt ceiling. And the idea of the debt ceiling is it's this limit that once we, once we get to that ceiling, we're not going to take on any more debt. It goes back to the original, when they created the Federal Reserve, one of the fears that these government officials had when they were creating it was, well, isn't this just going to allow them to monetize the debt? And so they put, they put these controls in place to try to avoid that happening. One was that the Federal Reserve was not going to be allowed to buy government debt, okay? Which means that they can't, you know, because the Federal Reserve could just create money out of thin air and then buy treasury bonds from the government. They didn't want that happening. So they put that in place. And then that went out the window um, at, at World War, when World War I hit and the government needed a lot of money. Uh, well, this is an emergency. We'll suspend that part of the statute and they can buy government debt. But we'll put in a debt ceiling so that they can't buy more than 11 and a half billion dollars worth of government debt that'll keep it under control we'll have this ceiling and that way we can fund world war one whatever we won't take on more than 11 and a half billion that was the i believe that was it's been a while since i've read up on this but I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that was the original debt ceiling and we are now bumping up against what 23 trillion dollars a trillion with a t yeah well and on. let's look it up and so now it's it's almost every year our government is is bumping up against this debt ceiling. And it used to be that they'd bump up against the debt ceiling and they'd have all these debates back and forth and Republicans would pretend to be these fiscal conservatives. You get a deal that's struck and they raise the debt ceiling to a, a um to a known limit. You know, they go from 10 trillion to 12 trillion or something like that. Now they just suspend it all together to a, to a certain date. Yeah. So they have reached a bipartisan agreement on suspending the debt ceiling until after the 2020 election. And uh, this is a Wall Street Journal article. The deal diffuses debt limit issues for two years, pushes debate past the 2020 presidential election. Oh, God, these bipartisan deals. Any time I hear the word bipartisan, I just know that I'm going to get it from both ends. Like you are getting pig roasted by Washington. Bipartisan is just code for you get the worst of both worlds. The deal is for more than $2.7 trillion in spending over two years. It still has to pass both um, chambers of Congress and needs the president's signature. But it, it sounds like all indications are that this is going to pass. And of course... Republican Kevin McCarthy of California, the top House Republican, 
Praise the increases in military spending. Right. So that's the the bipartisan. You get the worst of both worlds. So it's got huge increases in um, defense spending for the Republicans. So I know Trump came out and he's like, this is a great deal for the vets. So, yeah, they get to increase military spending. We get to rebuild our militaries if that's what we need to do. It's not enough that we spend more than the next 20 countries combined on our military. It just drives me crazy that they even call it a defense budget, okay? This is not defense. This is offense. This is us policing the world. This is our offensive budget. They need to start, they need to go back to calling it the war department. This is our war budget. This is our perpetual war, longest wars in American history. It's that budget. All, all the stuff that, that Trump ran on, by the way, he ran on ending these wars. All he did was talk about how much money we're wasting on the mili- on these on these uh, foreign interventions. We're wasting money in Iraq. We're wasting money in Afghanistan. That all goes out the window once he gets into power. And now now that it's his military, it's, it's just so Trump. It's just like, oh, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, more money for the military. We need a tremendous military. And our vets, it's got to be bigger. And then the Democrats, their part of the bipartisan thing is the domestic spending. So spending goes up on all fronts. They suspend this debt ceiling for two years. Um, it, it's, it, it really is unbelievable that, that we still go through this whole charade. We've gone from $11.5 billion to over $22 trillion. And we still go through this thing every year when we bump up to this limit oh, we got to have this uh, big debate and we pretend that we actually have this ceiling and we're not, we're not just going to raise it every time. It's absolutely ridiculous. And this is what we get from these so-called fiscally conservative Republicans. Yeah, they're only fiscally conservative when they're not in power. When Barack Obama was president, they were all over it like a hawk. They shut down the government because they didn't want to raise this debt ceiling. That's what the, the debt ceiling gives everybody... That's why, you know, that's literally why we have it so that they can use it as leverage to strike deals and then that they can posture as if they actually care about how much debt we take on. They, nobody wants to end the debt ceiling because then it's like, oh, well, you, you, just want us, you just want uncontrolled spending when in actuality there's really no ceiling at all. They just raise it every time we bump up against it. That's literally the opposite of a ceiling. And I know I say this all the time, but the government has this unbelievable ability to take a word and completely pervert the meaning of it. Apparently, ceiling to government means this adjustable thing that every time you you hit it with your head, you could just raise the ceiling a little bit, you know, raise the roof. That's their idea of controlling debt. <laughs> yeah, they've controlled it from eleven and a half billion to twenty-three trillion. That's some fucking ceiling you got there. Jesus Christ! I mean, we have a- we're revisiting this, right? The whole the whole debt ceiling, the budget deficit, everything. We're revisiting this, right? Well, we have to because they keep hitting their the debt ceiling. They keep bumping up against it. They keep spending money. So yeah, this is gonna this is gonna be a recurring topic. <laughs> so just at a high level. Weirdly enough, like discretionary spending is actually not what causes like the enormous budget deficit, right? I think that's yeah. like probably the biggest fallacy. People think about like food stamps and like quote unquote welfare and Department of Education. Like that is like a drop in the bucket. There's three things that drive the budget deficit more than anything else Social Security, Medicare, and the military. Those are like 
That, that probably counts for like 80% of spending, maybe 90%. It, it's definitely the vast majority of it. Yeah. And it, one of the, one of the, the very interesting things, I'm surprised that they reveal this. When they have these debt ceiling debates, they come out and say, you know, like, well, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, you might not get your social security checks. Right. I, I can't believe that. I mean, I don't know if American people are too stupid to put this together of, of how you know, tenuous their so, so-called social security entitlements are. Right. You're, you're literally entitled to nothing. And it just depends on how much more debt the, the government's willing to take on. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know why they don't just come out and be like, hey, don't worry. You know, it's all in that trust fund in the lockbox. I mean, the thing about Social Security is I, I agree it's a bit of a Ponzi scheme between old people and young people. At least with Social Security, there is a dedicated revenue source. Right. Well, it all goes into the general revenue, though. Correct. Which is why they need to raise the debt ceiling. Correct. But I mean... You could you could kind of make a connection between how much money is taxed with Social Security and how much is paid out. Mm-hmm. Medicare and the military, you you can't. I mean, that's right. well, I guess there's a Medicare tax too, but I'm sure it doesn't even come close to paying. Yeah, I mean, Social Security is absolutely a Ponzi scheme. This whole thing is a Ponzi scheme. Right. The U.S. government runs the biggest Ponzi scheme the world has ever seen. Bernie Madoff pointed this out from his prison cell when he did an interview because all we're doing when we raise this debt ceiling, you know, you hear all this crap from these politicians, you know, oh, we have to pay, we have to raise the debt ceiling because the U.S. pays their debts. And it's just like, no, we don't. We don't pay our debts. That's why we have to keep raising the debt ceiling because all we do when a, when a bill comes due is we borrow more, more money from somebody else. So we need to get new investors to buy some new debt. And then we take that money from the new investors and we pay off these old bills that are coming due. That is the definition of a Ponzi. Let's just be clear though. Like unlike you or me, if we can no longer borrow to pay our debts, we would declare bankruptcy, right? The U S government won't default on its debt, right? They'll just, they, the U S government has the luxury of printing money. So they'll just print their, they'll print money out of it. So if anything, we'll have really high inflation. That's where I see them going with it. Yeah. They should default. That would be the honest thing to do. Right. You know, and we, I mean, the best thing to do. Well, what's honest. I mean, these investors know what they're getting into, right? Yeah. You could just be like, listen, you know, China, we're not paying you. (laughs) That should be the answer. But but again, it's sort of like they're two bad choices. Like the investors are screwed. They default. The investors are also screwed if you inflate, inflate your way out of it. Yeah, well, and both every, causes but, but economic. See, everybody's screwed when you inflate your way out of it, especially right. poor people, especially people on fixed incomes like Social Security recipients. Right. Because yeah, they're they're it's the inflation is like the most evil hidden tax there is. So let's just be clear: inflation is kept somewhat under control because. Foreign governments like China are willing to still buy our debt. That's the only thing keeping inflation in check. Yeah, we're basically exporting the inflation overseas. Right. <laughs> or, I mean, if they ever decide to... to we're just take, going into debt. We're going into yeah. to huge debt. Well, if they ever decide to take those dollars and and come over here and buy up a bunch of assets or something like that, then we would then we would see a lot of that inflation come back at us like a That's a good point. tidal yeah. wave, you know? Right. Because they let's say they're holding, I think the number is like three trillion dollars. Yeah. If they 
came and, and pumped three trillion dollars into like the real estate market, everyone else would have to pay a lot more for yeah. real estate. Basically, couldn't afford it probably. Yeah, but yeah, I, I just I find this whole I want to rename the debt ceiling to because I, I remember um you know we have the clip of of President Obama at the beginning of the show. I remember him in one of those interviews. I don't know if it was the same one I pulled the clip from, but he was just like, you know, I don't like this name debt ceiling <laughs> because it makes it seem like we're taking on more debt or something. It's like I don't like the name either because it's not a ceiling. It's not a ceiling if every time you bump up against it, you just get rid of it right. or you raise it or you suspend it. It's more like a target. It's a debt target. And that's what we should call it. You know, we're shooting for 24 trillion. We're hoping to get there by next September. And then you get there, you hit 24 trillion. And so you move the target back a little farther. Okay. Now we're at 24. We're shooting for 26. <laughs> It's a dead target. That's what we should call it. I mean, if this whole thing, this whole charade isn't enough to show you, to illustrate perfectly why government should not be in charge of anything, let alone the money supply, think of how irresponsible they are. We used to be the world's largest creditor nation. We're now the world's largest debtor nation. And people out there want to give them more responsibility, more things to manage. You want to trust them with your retirement savings, with your life savings? You think they're going to be better custodians of your wealth that you worked hard for, that you scraped together over a lifetime? You're just going to turn it over to these maniacs in Washington with a blank credit card, with a credit card with no debt limit on it, and you think they're going to be responsible with it? Of course not. Why would they? All they care about is the next election, buying the next round of votes. So that's what they're going to do. You're giving them a credit card where they get to choose how what the debt limit is. Are you insane? That's your system? That's your system. Turn over a $4.5 trillion monstrosity with unlimited powers to tax you and a, and a credit card with no debt limit on it. That's your plan. That's the system that you're willing to fight and die for. And then you celebrate some victory over this fake ceiling. They're all, they're, all, they're all patting themselves on the back. They avoided a fake crisis of their own making. They, they say these things where it's just like, oh, like we've avoided a looming fiscal crisis. You didn't avoid anything. Like the, the crisis is not the debt ceiling. The crisis is the debt. The problem right. is the debt. The problem is that we have $23 trillion worth of debt. And that's just the bonded debt. That's not all these unfunded liabilities that the government racks up. That's the problem. The problem isn't this fake ceiling that we've put in place to, to limit the amount of debt that we've taken on, that every time we bump up against it, we just get rid of it. That's not a problem. That's easy. Just get rid of the ceiling. It's self-imposed. We can get rid of it whenever we want. The problem is, how are we going to pay all this debt back? And the answer is, we're not. Yeah, they're gonna, gonna they're gonna inflate, inflate our way it out away. Of it. Yeah. yeah, I I mean I think that's what they're gonna do because they're politicians and they're gonna take the easy way out. It's easy to inflate it away. It's harder to see it. You know, there's there's always that lag between um, the creation of the money and when it trickles all all the way down through the economy. That's the other thing when they create when they you know when they when they pump all this currency into the market, it goes to the the banks first. It goes to the bankers, you know, those evil, those big corporations, those uh, too big to fail banks, all those guys on Wall Street, they get this money first. 
because that's how they inject it into the economy. Right. And that's why you see this huge discrepancy that, you know, Bernie Sanders rails about this, Elizabeth Warren, they're all talking about, you know, how there's this huge inequality between the average person and these fat cats on Wall Street. It's like, well, get rid of the Federal Reserve. Stop creating this money out of thin air and giving it to these bankers. Yeah. They, they get to spend it first before the, the, the price increases trickle through the economy. And then guys like um, your, your Joe Sixpack or whatever, when he goes to buy something, now all that money has been circulating through the economy, right. been changing hands. He gets to pay the higher prices. And uh, it's just a terrible system, man. The government should have no business controlling money. It's way too important. And there's no end in sight. If Republicans are going to spend $1.3 trillion a year when they're in power, it's just like, and they're supposed to be the, the fiscal conservative. Yeah. Like, what chance do we have? Yeah. You know, and they're just going to keep suspending it, keep racking up trillions and trillions of dollars worth of debt and saddling future generations your kids, your grandkids, with insurmountable debt. This, is gonna, this whole country is going to be a debtor's prison. And so we're going to have to find a way to stop this. We have to figure out a way to, to, to reel this government in. You know, you and I disagree on some things, and that's fine. We, we can have disagreements, but we both favor freedom, and we both want to limit government to some extent. What we have to do is create a movement where we're all moving in one direction. We're all moving in that direction toward freedom. And obviously, I want to I want to ride that bus a lot longer than most people. I want to see how far we can go. I want to get to where there's no government left. And you know, maybe you only want to get to where the the states have a, a much larger control over things and the federal government power is severely limited. That's fine. Let's at least move in that direction. We can get off at our at our own stops and 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 deal with those issues when we come to it. But the the path that we're heading on now is so far away from that goal. It's the complete opposite direction. And so if you want to turn this bus around, like Billy Madison, all right? We'll turn this damn bus around, right? Get it headed toward freedom. Get it headed toward individual liberty. I need you to do a couple things for me. I need you to download and subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We we need to we need to expand our listenership here, and that's that's up to you guys. We'll, we'll do what we can, but we're gonna need some help from you guys. Go on iTunes or Stitcher wherever you're listening to this and give us a a rating and review, five stars if you think the show is worth it. Follow us on Twitter at pedal fiction i'm tweeting out memes like a maniac probably have the best meme thread on the on the face of the earth <laughs> it's really really good and um you can support us monetarily at pedalingfictionpodcast.com everything that you donate goes right back into the show to try to expand our reach and you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter there and if you can do all that we will continue to move that bus closer to freedom. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Peace.